Well, we've been talking a bit on the Show Me Institute podcast about micro schools recently because it's just such an incredible phenomenon that has not come out of the pandemic, but seems to have exploded. And I'm uh, really looking forward this morning to talking to Delina Wallace, the president of AIM Educational Collaborative in Kansas, because you're one of the pioneers out there on the front line. I met uh, quite a few people now who are just like, I'm going to either pull my kids out and homeschool them or start my own school. And you're one of these. Is that, does that. Uh, well, I have been homeschooling. Yeah. For over 10 years. So I've been doing it for a while, but yeah, you're right. I'm seeing a lot more, just an influx in people looking for, you know, serving their kids and doing things outside of the traditional school system. So, yeah. So you mostly support people. I know you have a group in the Wichita, Kansas area. You mostly support homeschool families or hybrid homeschoolers, micro schools. What would you say? I would say all of the above. So I started out serving homeschool families in my area. I live in Reno County, Kansas. And um, just began opening my home, you know, as like kind of offering support system kind of things. Um, Also operating like a homeschool co-op for over five years and providing classes. So kind of was working in this space specifically for homeschoolers. And then as I realized kind of more of these micro schools were popping up, they are meeting a need that homeschoolers cannot. They're kind of filling this gap for these families that can't necessarily homeschool and they're looking for alternatives and they're looking for options. And so I started meeting more of these micro school founders and those who operate hybrid learning models and started offering services and support. So we have a network of education entrepreneurs, like you said, in the Wichita area. Our group is called WISE and it stands for Wichita Innovative Schools and Educators. Wow. And so, yeah, just supporting all of the above. Because I imagine that there's got to be a lot of parents who maybe read about micro schools or see something on the news about micro schools and, um, and they think, wow, I'd love to do that. But I have absolutely no, I, mm-hmm. I, first of all, I couldn't too daunting. Uh, there must be a ton of paperwork. I wouldn't even know how to get started. So does your group help somebody in that situation? That's just like, I kind of want to do this, but I literally have no idea where to start. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as being a daunting process, what I have found is that it's actually a lot more manageable. It's a way more simplistic model as far as micro schools go um, than it would be like, say, if you wanted to start a charter school or something. Sure. So um, the, the application process, I mean, all of that, we're operating in a space, you know, we are like operating this permissionless zone where there's a lot of gray area right now. And we're kind of running with that and able to, you know, operate and just kind of spread our wings and things like that. So when we offer support, we do it in several ways we can offer and connect them with consulting services, those who need um, help with like business formation, we can kind of help with that. If they're going to file as a 501c3, those sorts of things. So some of that and then the operational side, if they need help with resources or a learning management platform to manage everything, you know, um, yeah. we can help with that. But a lot of it, what we have found is simply showing them the diversity of models that are out there. So when we kind of are able to highlight, and that's a lot of what I do is I just like go out and I highlight and I, and I shine this light on these people who are doing these very creative outside of the box learning environments and, and educational services that they're offering to their community. 
And so when I show examples, then that kind of gives people like the, the inspiration that they need and the support that, that they need. So you say learning management programs, in other words, like a soft, a software platform, something where a student or a family can log in and how to track what homework or what's being done in the, in the um, learning environment. You're saying that those, there's got to be bunches of those available now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There are so many options. There's wonderful resources out there. Um, definitely people are not alone in starting this process. And, you know, we can help them connect and find the resources they need and feel supported in that journey. Um, and a lot of what I do is I really help with the inspiration and with these emergent education entrepreneurs who are just stepping out into this new realm, you know, um, because it is a new frontier. Like we're yeah. all exploring yeah. this together. We're all learning from each other. And that's part of the fun. And I think what's new about it to me is that um, I homeschooled 20 years ago. Only thing available at the time was K-12 that I knew of, K-12.org, which I used and it was great. However, like if I thought I kind of want to just not necessarily homeschool and have a full-time job, but I want my child in that kind of environment, my thinking would have been, certainly before the pandemic, it's not allowed. Like there is no way. So when you say it's new and innovative and we're just doing it anyway, it's like there has to be a lot of people who have joined the micro school movement that would have thought it's either not legal or I can't do this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. A couple of things. There's some, there's a lot of similarities between in micro school, especially the hybrid models that only operate one or two days a week, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. hybrid, hybrid learning models can be like anywhere from one to four days a week, but they are by design, they're not a five day a week program. So there's a lot of similarities between those and the traditional homeschool co-ops that really have been around for years and years. Yeah. And, and so, you know, as I was operating as a homeschool co-op director, so just real quick, homeschool sure. co-op, if you could just define that for people yeah. who are listening. Right. Okay. So we, in all of these areas, we actually try to avoid definitions with these okay. because they are so diverse and because, you know, everyone looks unique and there's a lot of variety. Um, but just to give kind of context, a homeschool co-op would be a gathering of homeschool families that come together to learn together in person, maybe one full day a week or a morning a week or a couple times a week, but they are made up of homeschool families that come together in collaboration. Maybe the parents are the teachers um, and some in some co-ops, they're hiring an outside teacher to teach these courses. There's a lot of diversity there, but I was kind of operating in that space when I learned the term micro school Mm-hmm. And I had also, in addition to the homeschool co-op, I had been opening my home for a couple other families to come in and we would learn together in my home. And so we'd been doing this for years. And then I heard the term micro school and I thought, I, I mean, that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're serving other families outside of my own. I have six kids. And so I've been, a lot. you know, yeah, it is. And I've been homeschooling. So it's kind of like we've had this one room schoolhouse all along. Right. You know, we've had mixed ages and grade levels. And so it was such a natural thing to just kind of slightly pivot in the direction of like, I see what's happening here. I see what's trending right now. It's micro schools. 
And it was such a natural thing for me to step into that. So I started exploring. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, but there's a Prenda. Yeah. It's a national, okay, a national microschooling organization. And they were doing a pilot program coming to Kansas. And they were looking for some guides to help them in the state as they were exploring this program. And so as a learning experiment for myself, I really wanted to know more about what it means to operate a micro school. Who can do it? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, and so I learned from Prenda what they say, hey, this is what you need to do. And this is what it needs to look like. And I and I learned from that. And I said, OK, if Prenda can say a micro school looks like this, then I can say a micro school looks like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I've I've also created my own micro school model. But the experimenting with micro schools was was my learning curve. It was helping me um, figure out what micro schools are and who can start them. And what's your model called? Mine is AIM High, and it's a division of the AIM Educational Collaborative. And ours is a mix of hybrid in-person plus online plus at-home study. And so it's truly individualized for each student. We help guide them through in the state of Kansas. You know, here are the regulations we need to meet. Um, and we started with kind of working towards the high school level. A lot of these high schoolers are already very independent learners. They're self-driven. They're able to take courses online. They're able to drive and take some classes at a community college or whatever. So that's what I think is beautiful about the micro-schooling movement is that it really allows for total freedom and total autonomy. You can create your own program. So you must have a high school student now? I do. I have two. How's that going? Um, awesome. I mean, so I think I, sometimes I hear that by the time homeschool kids get around the high school age, they're like, I want to go to a school. Uh, well, okay. So my sophomore, she's my oldest. She is going to school for the first time. So she's going to a private school here locally, and that's been a great fit for her. It's just something she really was needing, and we felt like it was a good thing. I have a freshman who is still at home doing this hybrid model um, with in-person classes, online, and all of that. So kind of... So again, like sometimes I think these conversations out in the public space anyway get into like a this versus that. Right. This is better than that. Yes. Public versus private, traditional public versus charter public, homeschool versus in person, and all of that. But most of the parents that I've talked to, anyway, that are sort of the educational entrepreneurs, are open, like you are, to like this worked for this kid this year, yes. and maybe we need to do something for this child next year. Exactly right, and that when when you have six kids. <laughs> You know, you realize they are all so different. Yes. They learn differently. They have different passions and interests. And so you have to, um, as the one who's managing their learning, you have to be able to adapt and be creative and allow them the freedom to do what works best for them. Now in Kansas, is there any public money available for micro schools or so we are pretty limited in school choice policies right now. We do not have an ESA that has been passed okay. in our state. Um, so there are, I believe, like tax credit okay. situations there where some schools are able to participate in that program, um, things like that. But yeah, we don't yet. Would you have... like to see that happen? 
I absolutely would. Oh, and okay. I say that for the families that, that will need that and want to partake in that program. That's not necessarily where I'm at, but I'm actually okay with, and I still see value in this for other families and for micro schools and even private schools that to them, that's going to be a lifeline. And that's really going to save their program. And it's really going to offer their services to more families. So for that reason, I think we need to have that in the state of Kansas. Yeah, I know that there is a woman who's been very instrumental in West Virginia. They did pass an ESA and she is uh, has long time been a member of the homeschool community there. Mm -hmm. And she was initially against it. I shouldn't be speaking for her. I won't even give her name. So she doesn't know I'm doing it, but I've heard her talk a couple of times. Anyway, um, she was initially against it because they were afraid that that would mean sort of government regulation. And then when she talked to folks about what was really involved, she brought the homeschool community around in the, in their thinking and has helped um, people who wouldn't be able to afford to do this now are able to afford to do this. And it shouldn't really, in my opinion, be something that's just for people who can afford to stay home and teach their kids, right? Their micro schools in particular, somebody has to pay the teacher. So if you can participate in this and, and you want to, then I think it brings up um, a, a great opportunity if public funds can be made available for parents to be able to choose what is the right learning environment for their child and not just be limited to one or a couple of public options. Right? Exactly. Right. And it's all about choice. I mean, it really yes. is. And I would never, I don't want to be in a position of trying to persuade an individual or a school or an organization one way or another, whether they should participate in this program or whatever. That's not for me to decide that's for them, but they need to have the option. And, yeah. um, and, you know, I, yeah, definitely coming from the traditional homeschooling background, there is a ton of resistance and I get it. Yes. I absolutely get it. I understand the hesitation. I understand that. And so like, I really respect that and want that to be honored. So if policies are written in our state, if there's school choice policy, I want it to be to make sure that it is um, also still protecting the rights yep. of those who don't participate in this program or receive public funding. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> if you pull your, if you decide to be your child's primary teacher and not the public school, you don't want the public school then dictating what you need to be doing exactly. at home with your child. For sure. I agree with that completely. Now, um, September 23rd, the Kansas Policy Institute we recently did a podcast with their executive director, James Franco. They're going to be hosting an all-day event yes. in Kansas, in Overland Park, I believe, at the Sheraton. And it's going to be for people to come and talk to you, people who maybe are considering this or maybe want to dip a toe. And you will be there, is that right, um, to yes. help folks who are who are curious, who are homeschool curious? Yeah. Homeschool, micro school, hybrid school, curious, all of the above. So anyone interested in innovative learning models and want to explore what this looks like, learn more about it, be able to meet education entrepreneurs who've stepped out and yeah. they are serving their community in creative ways. We're going to have several panelists from different states. Again, we're going to have a lot of diversity presented as to like how people are serving families um, but also the Vela Education Fund, that's mm -hmm. been a huge support for a lot of us. They provide grants 
and there will be a lot of the Vela grantees there. So a network opportunity to connect <laughs> with each other. Um, and so Vela gives uh, grants directly to uh, micro school operators to just cover operating costs. Is that right? And, right. And not just micro school operators, but even homeschool co-ops, even those who have tutoring centers or have their own business where they provide educational services. So they're, you know, really a major supporter of this innovative education that's happening. That's awesome. Now, I mentioned this before we started recording, but uh, I don't have a really good sense of um, any micro school school movement in Missouri. Of course, this all day events in Kansas City. So it'd be easy enough if you're in Missouri in the Kansas City area to or even outside the Kansas City area because it's on a Saturday to attend this. But I can only guess that there isn't anywhere that this really isn't happening. What would you right. say? Oh, I am certain. I don't know of any in Missouri. So I'm just going to say that right off the bat, but that does not mean that they're not happening. My experience, um, the way that I learned about a lot of the educational entrepreneurs in my area was through a Google search. Wow. And I wanted to kind of figure out who's doing something similar. And I wanted to connect with them and begin networking with them. And so I typed in things like tutoring center, learning center, after school programs, you know, just a ton of different keywords because I wanted to call them up and ask them, so what are you doing? Tell me about your services. And I would learn as I talked with them and, and connected that they were actually running what we would call a micro school wow. and they didn't even know it yeah. a lot of times. And that's definitely the case with a lot of homeschool co-ops and the directors of these co-ops. They don't even know that they're doing something that really is um, serving families in a huge way. And that has a lot of support out there available for them. And so I'm just, um, I'm sure that that's happening in Missouri. I'm sure it's happening in every yep. state. Yeah. I know during the pandemic, um, several boys and girls clubs, a bunch of churches in Missouri were um, opening up spaces where kids could come there and do their virtual learning through their public yeah. school system there. And in the case of the boys and girls club, then they were bringing in tutors and they were bringing in facilitators to help the kids with their, and essentially that be becomes a micro school, right? right? Like then all of a sudden you're sort of taking over as the primary teacher. And I don't know, you know, how that's evolved since schools reopened, but they felt they fit the, the gap really fast. And I yes. think that that is what we see happening when it comes to kids. I mean, I have said this so many times, probably a ton of times on this podcast, but I never underestimate, ever underestimate parents because mm -hmm. they will step oh, up. Yeah. I mean, they get it, it done. They oh, will yeah. get it. They are formidable <laughs> force and um, you don't want to go against them. And I was there, I have three kids. So I know that like most parents will stop at nothing to get what their kids need. And I just think that people don't realize that this is an option, that you don't have to just accept your only option if you don't like it, if your child's being bullied, if the school's too big, if they're getting lost, if their IEP isn't being well served. You know, there's a bunch of reasons why parents uh, feel frustrated with their only school that they're assigned to. And I just, Hope that we can get the word out more that there are alternatives. 
That's right. Yeah. And you're right about um, a lot of this happening during the pandemic. People just kind of stepped up to meet the needs of their community. I really loved seeing that. And I personally would love to see that happen more. I would love like specifically for churches. It seems like such a very natural thing for them to open their doors and to host, you know, if not even facilitate and direct these programs. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know how simple it can be. Like a lot of times as churches might consider, oh, we would love to have a private school someday or a faith-based program or something like that. They go ahead and they think of these big programs, you know, where they, they have, you know, the administrative costs, they have a teacher for every single grade level, for every accreditation. Oh yeah. All of it. And so they jump to that and that can be very daunting and overwhelming. But if they could simply see that they can really meet the need and serve not only their congregation, but they can serve their community. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, I had this very unique, like, kind of, I guess, somewhat of a bird's eye view of what was happening because our church personally had purchased an old school building that had been closed right here in my neighborhood. Wow. And yeah, it was amazing. So we had um, purchased this building in 2020. COVID happens. In the summer of that year, our church was kind of like selling a lot of the things that the school had left behind. Some of it we needed and some of it we didn't. A lot of it was extra furniture. There were textbooks left. There was all kinds of stuff. So we were hosting the sale and I was posting items online. I had people driving from Nebraska and Oklahoma wow. and Texas to come and purchase school desks. Wow. And I was there meeting them personally at the location. And I would just ask them, I was so intrigued. I'm like, why are you guys buying all this? Why do you need this? And they said, we're opening a school. We're opening our doors of our church and we're going to start serving because these parents need to work and these kids can't just be home alone. That's so right. we're just going to oversee their school program. And I was like, that is amazing. Yeah, I love it. And it can be yeah. as simple as that and really meet a need for families. Yeah, definitely during the pandemic when people just couldn't just leave their six-year-olds home alone. I mean, what were you supposed to do, right? So I do appreciate that. I hope, I know some kids were left home alone, but for the most part, we need to, I think, just expand our thinking. Like let's not restrict our thinking to this is the one and only way education can be delivered and be successful. Now, I would guess that there isn't any real uh, research on the academic impact of programs like micro schools, homeschooling is really hard to get, get your ha- head around. I mean, there is a national household education survey every other year by the department of education that just attempts to sort of quantify and describe the homeschool population. Um, but I did think we know a little bit about college going rates, right. About homeschool students. Yeah. And, and, and that they're, they're higher. They're thriving. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they thrive in the college college level. They're, you know, often they are sought after because yeah. they know that these are independent learners who are self-driven. And so colleges seek out homeschoolers or those who come from an alternative school. And I also believe there's then you also go back to the whole um, sort of parent accountability, which is if it really wasn't working, you wouldn't keep doing it or you exactly. would adjust and adjust and adjust right. until you found the thing that was working. Uh, you know, when, I don't know, I think in Kansas, James said that maybe 
35 to 40% of the kids are proficient. And if everyone was in alternative learning environments, I don't think 60% of them would just accept the fact that the kids weren't on grade level. I mean, you would just keep right. adjusting and adjusting and adjusting, right? Until you right. figured out yes. what is needed to be done for each child. So yes, well, this is exciting stuff, Delina. I really appreciate you explaining it to us. And, uh, and again, how can people reach you if they have questions or they're interested in finding out more? Um, they can go to my website. It's aimeducationks.com. And they can reach out to me, email. My email is delina.aimeducation at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, Delina Wallace. And if they, I mean, I would love anyone who's interested in this, if they can make it to this summit, it's called the Heartland Hybrid and Micro School Summit. It's on September 23rd, a Saturday. Breakfast is provided, lunch is provided. You're going to be able to meet people who are in this space and sharing their experience. So it would be wonderful. I'd love to meet you if you're interested in learning more. Well, that's great. We love your enthusiasm and you're going to be a leader of this next wave. So I really appreciate you coming and talking to us about it. Thank you for having me.